Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Well, good morning. I'm with Ryan. Um, Baptism services are my favorites, just as we get to watch people testify to the fact that Christ has made a difference in their lives and that they're following him. And that's just, like, I mean, that's touchdown, especially as you see kids, parents, way to go. That's awesome. I, uh, yeah, it doesn't get any better than that. Um, hey, I, uh, uh, happy April Fools. I was going to get up this morning. Actually, Ryan and I were talking about getting up and just saying that uh, we were resigning as an April Fools joke, and then we thought everybody would cheer so that that <laughs> probably wouldn't be a really good idea. <laughs> so we're, we're going to avoid that. Instead, we're just going to dive in this morning. Actually, on, on Friday, um, we talked about the fact that the cross cries out to us today, that through the cross, God is calling us and that He wants to bring our attention to some things. And the first one that we looked at was the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that He wasn't just a good prophet, He wasn't just a, a great teacher, He wasn't just a moral leader, but that He was the Son of God Himself that had come on a mission for us. And secondly, we looked at the fact that the cross cries out to us that our sin has a consequence. That today, that we have to deal with our sin. We have to deal with it definitively. It's not something that we can be flippant about. It's not something that we can be laissez-faire about. It's something that has to be addressed in our lives. And this morning, I would submit to you that just like the cross cries out to us, that also, through the empty tomb, God is crying out to us today for our attention and for our consideration of what He has done. So before we dive in, would you just bow your heads with me and pray. Father, this morning again we stop and on this Easter Sunday we say thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We would pray, God, that you would come and that you would speak to us again now from the perspective of the empty tomb that you would help us to understand you, that you would help us to grow to be like you, that you would help us to live for you as we go forward. And so to that end, God, demonstrate once more the relevance of what you've done for us today. For I ask these things now in Jesus' name and for his sake alone. Amen. All right, if you've got your phone with you, you want to flip it open, turn your Bible app on, Or if you want to grab a pew Bible in front of you, maybe you brought your own Bible. We're going to look at Luke 24, verses 1 to 8, starting there. If you don't have any of those things with you, it'll be on the screen, and so you'll be able to follow along with that. Luke 24, verses 1 to 8. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, 
Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Then they remembered Jesus' words. And Jesus' words are caught by Matthew in chapter 20, verses 17 to 19. This is Jesus talking to his disciples earlier before his crucifixion. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem on the way He took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, which is a reference to himself, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. This morning, number one, we need to hear God calling out to us through the empty tomb that there is hope. There is hope for us today. And to appreciate this, we have to go back and understand the circumstances of the time, which is to say that the Jewish people had been taught and raised to believe that one day would come a Messiah. That there was coming a man one day that was going to do for them what they had hoped for for ages. That he would deliver them from their oppression. That he would raise them up in prominence and position as a people. That they would bring to them not just deliverance from their oppressors, but also that he would bring them peace and prosperity and fulfillment. And that he would take away all of their fears. But the thing is, is that they understood that, they anticipated that from kind of a a geopolitical perspective. They anticipated that that was going to happen by someone that would come and take over government, that would set in place the proper structures, the proper procedures that would allow for the Jewish people to move out from under that oppression. And to take their rightful prominent place where they would be able to enjoy the lives that they were looking forward to. So they were looking for that on that geopolitical level. And at this point, up until the the crucifixion, just a couple days before, Jesus' followers thought that he was that guy. They were becoming convinced more and more day by day that he was the Messiah. That he was the one that they had been waiting for. That he was the one that they were looking for. That he was the one that they were longing for. As he came. And as he started to do miracles. As he started to defend them. As he defended the oppressed. As he gained popularity. And started to have more notoriety. And moved into a position of more prominence. And they were excited about what was going on. They finally thought that it was coming to be. 
that in their lifetime, now even, that the Messiah had come. And then all of a sudden, the story took a horrible turn. Jesus was taken prisoner. He was put on trial. He was crucified and died on a cross, seemingly just about overnight. And their hope was lost. They, they were lost. This one, this man that they thought was the Messiah, whom they understood was going to be their deliverance, who they had placed their hope and trust in, now all of a sudden was out of the picture. The change that they anticipated that he would bring for the better now seemed lost. And then three days later, hope dawned again. Three days later, they came and found that the tomb was empty. And as they began to process that and to come to an understanding of what had happened, hope resurfaced in their hearts and in their minds. Now, you see this morning, well, be that as it may, Doug, what, what does that mean for me? How does that apply for me? I'm not Jewish. I haven't been raised waiting for a Messiah, anticipating that someone was going to come, save me, make my life better. But I would submit to you this morning that perhaps we're maybe not all that much different than the Jewish people at all. Because aren't we really looking for a Messiah as well? Aren't we hoping that someone is going to come into our world, into our lives, that's going to make sense of things? that's going to give us significance, that's going to solve all the issues that we face day in and day out in our world around us? Aren't we silently, quietly hoping that there's someone that's going to come along and make things right? Well, we, may not, we might not be anticipating that, that that's one man. That, that somebody's going to come out of the blue. But I think we look for that in our politicians. Every election, we hope that finally this guy is going to get it right. That finally someone is going to come along and start to use a little common sense put things in proper order so that we can get some things resolved and move forward in our lives. Or, or, or maybe we hope that somewhere in our relationships that someone's going to come into my world 
And they're going to fill that void that I feel. That hole that I have. And so we look for that in a spouse. We look for that in a girlfriend. We look for that in someone. That they would solve my problems. That they would give me some significance. That I would be appreciated and loved and respected. That I would have fulfillment. And if not a politician or if not in a relationship, then don't we look for it in cash? Don't we sometimes treat cash the way the Jewish people look to the Messiah, that we think that when we get that, when we can gain enough of that, accumulate enough of that, then I will be able to put my world straight. That will solve my problem. Or perhaps even we just plain and simply look to ourselves. And we try and derive power in whatever way, shape, or form we can. The world around us tells us over and over that you're your own Messiah. That you can make it happen. You can self-actualize. You're the only thing that you need. And for that matter too, maybe we're not so unlike the followers of Jesus at this point in time. Because we too have had our hopes dashed. That every politician seems to let us down. That as we go from relationship to relationship, we don't find that fulfillment that we're looking for. In fact, that by relationship by relationship, that it just brings out our failings that much more clearly to us. That it underlines our need all that much more, it doesn't solve them. Maybe we've been disappointed. We've accumulated cash. We have arrived financially this morning. And you're here and you're thinking, no, it hasn't solved my problem. It hasn't brought me the life that I thought it would, that they told me it would, that I had decided it would. And maybe worst of all, maybe worst of all, that we've looked around and we've failed ourselves. That as the world has told us that you can do it, that you can solve it, that you can accomplish it on your own, that you look at your life and you see that it's just a bigger mess than it was before. And every day, day by day, I just keep making it worse. Letting myself down, having not been able to accomplish even my own best interests. Listen this morning as the empty tomb cries out, there is hope today. There is hope for you and I today. The Gospel of Mark in chapter 16, verse six, verses 6 and 7 says this. Don't be alarmed, he said to Mary as she had come to the tomb. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Look for yourself. Check it out. He's not here. He has risen. 
But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Friends, church family, the tomb is empty. Whether you believe in Jesus Christ or not, you have to come to grips with the fact that there is an empty tomb where he was laid. What happened? What's up with that? The game's not over. It's game on. Because he's no longer there. He is risen. It's not that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. It's very definitely that he was the Messiah. And not only for the Jewish people, but for us as well today. And what his followers then were about to begin to discover, we also now need to understand that Jesus didn't come to solve their geopolitical problems. He came to solve their primary problem. And He didn't just come to solve their problems in this life, but He came to solve their problem for eternity. He came to solve our much bigger problem and for all of eternity. And therein, it wasn't game over. It was game back on. And now it's a game changer. Listen now, number two. As the empty tomb cries out to us that sin and death are defeated. Romans 3.23 says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Which is to say that we are all in the same boat together today. None of us has escaped this area of sin. We are now all ranked among the sinners. And Romans 6.23 goes on to say that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This morning that we need to understand that Christ came to address the heart of our issue first. The biggest problem before the smaller ones. You know, there is no sense, is there, in putting new tires on a car with a blown engine. It doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? It's not going to help. The ride doesn't get any better when we can't drive. And that's the fact. We in our world today are trying to address the issues that are peripheral to the central problem. We're trying to put tires on a car with a blown engine. Thinking that that's going to make it better. When in fact, we're not going to be able to get anywhere, any further, any faster sitting down. Because that car's not moving. Christ came to deal with sin that separates us from God. And if left unaddressed in our lives, our sin leads to our death. And separation from God in hell for eternity. That is our primary and biggest problem. So Jesus set out to address that first. The writer of Hebrews sums it up well. 
in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 to 17, and I've collapsed it into a few of the verses just for brevity's sake this morning. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, that is to say that in God bringing people back to himself, restoring the relationship that had been broken by sin, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation, that is Jesus Christ, perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So the one, Jesus Christ, who makes us holy and those who choose to follow him become one of the same family through his work. So Jesus is then not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Since the children have flesh and blood, which is to say that because the problem is on our part, that it wasn't God's situation or issue that he had to deal with, but it was ours, that the sin is on our account, it is on our side of the equation, and therefore it has affected flesh and blood. Because then, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who are all their lives Sorry, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Again, we need to, the, the Jewish context here, the Jewish people understood that their sins were resolved through their sacrifice, through the animal sacrificial system under the law that had been put in place. And so using that imagery then, the writer in Hebrews says that Christ became that sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice in His service to God. Just as the priests handled the sacrifice in the temple on behalf of God, that Christ came along and became that sacrifice, became the, the high priest in service to God, and then made atonement for our sin himself through his offering of his body in our place. This morning, that is so significant because when we've got a problem with our car and we tow it into the, to the mechanic and we say, hey dude, I think, I think it's something to do with the suspension because it's just not riding right. It's, it's not going well in my world. Or, man, it's, it's the fuel pump. It's just not, it, it won't start because it won't get any fuel to the engine. And the mechanic looks at us and says, no, the engine's gone. The pistons are seized up. That's your problem. Christ looked at us and said, your engine's blowing. You're going nowhere. You're going to be hauled to the wrecker. 
And therefore, I will send my mechanic to solve your problem. It isn't with your tires. It isn't with your fuel pump. It isn't with your suspension. I need to address the engine problem. And so he did. And on the cross and through his resurrection, then now the empty tomb cries out to us, your sin and death are finished. They're dealt with. The sins that bind you, the sin that holds you back in life, are defeated. And death that was once our lot has been overcome. Number three, the empty tomb cries out that our hope is in Jesus alone this morning. 1 Timothy 2.4 tells us that God wants all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. That's God's intention. He's not here just for a few. He's here for everyone, wanting everyone to come to a knowledge of the truth. And in Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus sets out for us His primary mission. He says, For the Son of Man, again referring to Himself, came to seek and to save the lost. That's why He came. He came to solve our problem. To seek us and to bring us in. Those that were lost. So that we could be found and saved. 1 Peter 2, verses 22-24 to say, that he committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That is God the Father. He, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live right for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Because of what Christ has done, we can have a new engine this morning. Paul does an amazing job of putting this all into perspective in Romans 5, verses 12 and then 18 to 21. Listen to what he says here, how he brings it into perspective. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so as sin entered the world, then came death. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. So Adam's sin brought in death. Now we have all sinned, therefore we are all doomed to die. That is our consequence for sin. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. That is, that by Jesus Christ and His substitutionary death on the cross and then His resurrection from death itself, through that act, one righteous act, then all of us have the opportunity for righteousness to be reinstated into relationship with God. For just as, though the, just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. 
The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. And John eleven twenty five, and John fourteen six, here in Jesus testifies to this fact as, as well. Jesus said to her, "I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die." John fourteen six, Jesus answered, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." The empty tomb cries out to us today. That our hope is in Jesus Christ alone. The world will tell you. The world has been telling you. That there are many ways to God. That there's all kinds of different paths. That will all lead us to the same place and where we want to go. The empty tomb cries out. Hogwash. Hooey. Garbage. The empty tomb cries out that our hope is in Jesus Christ alone. He is not here just for North American Christians. He is not here just for European Christians. He is here for everyone. From whatever walk of life you come from, from whatever part of the world you come from, from whatever religion you come out of, Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. Lastly, this morning, the empty tomb cries out to us for our response. John 10 10. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What is your response this morning? What have you chosen to believe about Jesus Christ and the empty tomb? Where are you putting your faith today? Who or what is the Messiah that you are hoping in? Hoping for? If you haven't come to that point where you've trusted Jesus Christ, I would encourage you today, make that decision. Place your faith in Him. Romans 10.9 says, 10.9 and 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Don't wait. Make that decision today. Place your trust in Jesus Christ. And for those of us that have come to that place, that are following him, the tomb cries out to us for her response. 
How will we then live our lives? How are you living your life today? Are you following hard after God? Or have you relegated Him to just fire insurance? Sitting somewhere in a safe in the back of a closet of your world. The empty tomb cries out that we need to live our lives for Him. That day by day that we would get up and take up our cross now and follow Him. That we would become like Him so that we could be testimony to a world around us that has not seen the empty tomb. That don't know that He is risen and that in Him is our hope alone. This Easter, I trust that we will all pledge anew, commit ourselves again to living for Him, testifying to Him to the world around us, and then watch Him bring for us and for others the life that we want and are hoping for and that He's promised to bring. Let's pray. Father God, this morning again we stop and we say thank you, Father, for who you are. Thank you for the plan that you've had that you didn't just write us off. That you didn't just walk away when we had walked away from you. But that you would send your son that would die and come and die in our place and then that he by your power and might would overcome sin and death and rise again. Father, would you bring to us a new realization, a new clarity of what you've accomplished for us, what you have saved us from. Open our eyes to who you are, who your son is. I pray for those that haven't committed their lives to them, to him yet, that, that they would, that this morning even, that you would be working now by your spirit Convicting them, convincing them of the truth of who Jesus is and what He has done. Convincing them, convicting them again that there is no hope anywhere else. And that they would place your, their faith in you today. And for those of us, God, that know you, would you raise us up? Would you again work in our hearts and our lives to make us into your people? That we would follow you in every facet of our life, every day, day by day. That as you do, that as we do, that you would give us the lives that we long for as well and that you would make us a testimony to the world around us. All for Jesus' sake. And in his name I pray, amen.